Come on, what's going on, Transformation Church? Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see you in the house and online. Uh, listen to me, if, you're, if you are checking us out at home and you just saw that video, uh, we are officially opening our doors next week, June the 14th. Come on, everybody excited about that? June the 14th. And um, we, we, we are going to have two services. So instead of doing three services, they'll just be two services, and we're going to do that uh, until uh, further notice, just because we think that's the best way to launch back into um, opening our doors uh, back up again. So we're going to have two services, 10 a.m. and 11.30. 10 a.m. and 11.30, it'll be an hour service, hour and five. If I get to preaching, maybe an hour and 25, sorry. No, but, but really about an hour, hour and five service so that we can clean the building in between services and uh, make sure everything is, is um, uh, up to standard and how uh, you would like it safe for all of our families. So again, it's going to be an amazing week. Please, next week, join us 10 and 11.30. If not, if you're not ready, that's okay. You can stay home, watch online like you're doing now. We love our online family. We're going to continue to have online church. We've built an entire online strategy. Uh, it is our second campus online. We have 5,000 people viewing our church per week, salvations every week. I think uh, today we have next steps online, and so it's going to be a great day. I, I am encouraged, um, and, and the song that we just sang uh, our world needs Jesus. We know our world needs Jesus. And we know that he's the only one that can fix what is happening on the planet right now. And um, there's a lot of things. I want to say this. My heart is heavy, but my heart is also hopeful. And so um, we're going to talk about some probably uh, very heavy topics today. Might be uncomfortable for you. I want to encourage you that you're going to need to learn to live comfortably uncomfortable. Like, as believers, we're called to live comfortably uncomfortable. And I think too often we've shied away from being uncomfortable, and so we haven't had the dialogue and the conversations we needed to have. Obviously, we know what's going on um, in the world with a, a pandemic called uh, COVID-19. I, I saw a peaceful protest in New York that a, a, a friend of ours, a, a church friend of ours, Hillsong Church New York, uh, they were part of a peaceful protest at what's going on racially and in the country. And one of the, one of the speakers said, we've been dealing with... Uh, a pandemic called COVID-19, but a greater pandemic we've been dealing with is, is 19, 1619 pandemic, when the first African-Americans were brought here uh, 20 as slaves and the American uh, slave trade began. And so, so there's, there's multiple pandemics and there's all types of things happening in our world right now. So I'm, I'm heavy in my heart, but I'm hopeful in my heart. And so our, it looks different up here today, obviously. And we, we were um, meeting as a staff and, and with everything that's gone on with, with George Floyd and, and Ahmaud Arbery and, and, and all the things in our nation, we talk as a staff. And so we're talking an hour, probably three hours, two, two hours and 40 minutes or three hours, um, we were talking on Monday just about what's happening in the nation. And I said to the team and in my heart, I was like, our church needs to see and hear this conversation. Our church needs to see us together. And so we decided to have us all up here on the platform. This isn't our entire staff, but it's a lot of our staff and, and some of their spouses and families. And so I just wanted you to see the heart of our church. And it's so cool. Look at, look at the heart of your church, the soul of the church, and who God uh, has, is making us to be in the diversity up here on this platform right now. I'm so, I'm so grateful and so thankful. I love Transformation Church so much. I love you so much, Transformation Church. I love the miracle of what God's doing. There's no other church I'd want to be a part of. We are a multicultural church in the pride of the Southland. Come on, somebody. That's a miracle. And, and, and being multicultural, listen to me, please. It's not because we love multicultures. It's because we love the people of the culture. 
you, you, you got to quit loving the culture and not the people of the culture. You know, I love black culture. I love that. Like, my, I'm trying, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't dance well, but I try to. And, and I, I'm not good, you know, like that. And, and you know, I just, but I, I want soul in my heart. I, I got soul in my heart. I love black culture. I love Latino culture. I love Latino food. I love, I love that, right? We were in Cuba. I love Cuban culture. We were on Cuban missions trip. But, but I love Cuban people. I love Latino people. Like, so, so we have to get away from just loving someone's culture and not loving them. And, and I think that, yeah, it's cool to be multicultural, but why? Like, like really, is it so we can, somebody can say, oh, you have a multicultural church? No, I think it's because we are God's kids and we love people. I said something to my wife this morning, and we're going to jump into a couple thoughts. Um, but I said, why does it seem... And, and I was just being vulnerable. I'm going to be open today in this conversation. I said, why does it seem that people or white people invalidate when the topic of, of racism or slavery or the history of our nation or things, things took place? I said, is it, I said, why do they invalidate? And why do we invalidate? Or why is the, is the first thing we say, well, yeah, but da-da-da-da-da. Or A, it's gotten better, or da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, I said, are we scared or are people scared that if we give value and, and recognize something that we lose value? What, what's the concern? And she, she had a good thought about this. And yeah, it caught me off guard, but my first thought was invalidation is a defensive posture. So, because it can happen in all relationships, you feel defensive, it's kind of a passive defensive, like, I'll just shut it down. There's so many layers and so many nuances. That was my thought that there's so many nuances and layers that I don't know how to break it down. I don't know how to fix it. So I'll just invalidate it. Wow. Wow. That's, I think that, that, that's a really good insight that a lot of times when we don't know how to fix something, we just invalidate it or, or, or we dismiss it and ignore it. And so I think it's important. Here, here's three things I want to say to you. Number one, I'm so glad that we don't have to call in guest speakers to teach us about this. Look at this platform, guys. Come on, online. Look at this. This is the soul of your church. We, we don't have to call in somebody to figure out this reality. This is our reality. We are talking about this daily. We are praying about this daily. We are living this together, right? And so we don't have to call somebody from the outside. I love that. Uh, number two, this is not a guilt trip. I want you to hear, like, like this is not some guilt trip, uh, shame and guilt. This is, not, this is not that. And when you say, what's the answer? This is the answer. Dialogue, conversation, communication, relationships. This is the answer. Uh, guilt trip, shame and guilt are not God's uh, system. Shame and guilt are not a strategy. So, so let me say it this way. And I would tell all you white people, black people do not want your sympathy. They want your empathy. And we are called, it's different. Shame and guilt are not a strategy from God. You know what a strategy from God is? Repentance. Repentance. What does that mean? That means changing the way you think. New Testament repentance, Old Testament repentance is changing your direction. New Testament repentance is changing the way you actually think. And so I think it's important that we don't, that we don't um, get that wrong. Listen to me. I want to tell all the African-American brothers and sisters that go to our church, it is an honor to be your pastor. I am humbled and grateful that you would trust me in times like this. 
I've gotten so many loving and caring messages from you that have said, thank you for being our pastor. Thank you for speaking up. Thank you. We'd follow you anywhere. And it's an honor. And I know that it's tough in that scenario because I can't understand or fully know the pain that you've been through. And so it might be a lot easier to go to an all black church or with a black pastor and you, and you say, well, he gets my pain. I want to say to you, I, I don't get your pain, but I love you. And, and in this season with empathy, what I'm doing is I'm leaning in, I'm listening more than ever. I'm reading more books. I'm watching documentaries. I'm studying, I'm learning, I'm befriending, I'm talking. And so, and so I am leaning in and I want to tell all of the white people in our church, lean in, learn, listen, love empathy. But I want to also say to the white people that go to our church, the, re- the very fact that you go to a multicultural church like in the, in the South means that you're not prejudiced. Like you, you're, you're, you're open to, to other races and other relationships. Our church is a, is, a, is a phenomenon in our area. Like if you didn't like black people, you wouldn't come to our church. If you didn't like Latino people, if you didn't like other, other races and cultures, you probably wouldn't come to our church. And so, so you might have some some ignorances and some different things in your heart, but this is not a shame and guilt. Please listen to me. We are in this together. Don't hang your head in shame. Don't hang your head in guilt. Don't hang your head in like, oh, well, you know, that's not what this is about. This is about us being in unity and, and working together to see repentance. And I want to write this down. We can dialogue without demonizing. We can dialogue without demonizing. There are geopolitical structures in our nation on both sides of the aisle that want us to demonize each other and they don't want us to talk. And so we've got to listen. We've got to talk. There's a great pastor in in Baltimore, Maryland named Jimmy Rollins, African-American brother, pastors of an all black church pretty much. And and, uh, he, he said it this way. He said, this is what the black community wants from our white friends in white community. He said, my wife has had three children. He said, I've never, I've never had a child my wife's had three. He says, I do not understand the pain of what she went through. I will never understand the pain of her birthing three children. I will never know it. He goes, but every child she's had, I've gone into the delivery room. I've held her hand. I've, I've, I've cried with her. I've, I've, I've helped her breathe through the pain. He goes, all we're asking our, our community, our white brothers and sisters to do is hold our hand and help us breathe through the pain. Not invalidate our pain, not say, well, that was 400 years ago and it doesn't matter no more and it wasn't me. You know, not, not, to, not to actually put your head in the sand and say there's no uh, disparaging things in our, in our society, not to, n- but to, to hold each other's hand and go, hey, there's some real things here. We are family. We're called to hold the hand of one another. Uh, all this started in the book of Genesis. God gave mankind power. He said, I want you to guard from Satan in the garden. I want you to guard from the enemy. And I want you to take dominion and subdue the planet. Take dominion. He actually gave us dominion power, power intrinsically in our our DNA, in the creation, in the God side of us to have power and to dominate the planet, to cultivate and and create industry and business and build structures and and, and to build skyscrapers and to to make commerce. And he gave us this creative power inside of us to dominate and populate and subdue the earth and dominate and spread the the kingdom over the planet but when satan entered and caused sin to enter the first thing that happened was that instead of mankind dominating the earth and subduing the earth according to his job description they began to try to dominate and subdue one another with power we were never intended to subdue and dominate each other 
And, and, and it, that's a sin issue that rooted in Satan's strategy from the beginning. And, and so we're going back to the garden. And Jesus reverses all that where now we don't begin to dominate one another with our power. We have power as people from God. Now we subdue and dominate the forces of darkness and spread the kingdom on the planet. And so we're gonna jump into a conversation real quick and you're gonna hear from people on this platform and different stories. I wanna say to you, you cannot invalidate their stories. And you might say that prejudice and, and, and systemic racism don't exist, but I heard stories in a staff meeting from every friend of mine and brother and sister up here of, of a different color that would say different in their lifetime, that there is racism and there is things they've experienced. And, 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 and a lot of times we want to ignore it. Come on, listen to me. Ahmaud Arbery could be hunted down and killed in the streets, right? And his, his, his killers were not even, even arrested for six weeks, but Michael Vick can fight his bulldog and go to jail for a year. You might say, oh, 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 that's just one off instance. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. You know, that, that young white man could shoot up a black church and then he gets to go to Burger King after. George Floyd didn't, go to, didn't get to go to Burger King. And I'm just, I know this is heavy, but it's real. And so here, here's what white people say in the white community oftentimes. Racism is an individual problem. And I'm not racist. If you are, that's your problem. I love black people. I love people. I love, you know, it's an individual problem. That's true. That's a very true statement. And the black community would understand that racism is a systemic problem. And it's in the fabric of our society. Now, it's easy to shut down and invalidate that because that's a huge statement and it's hard to figure out how to fix it. But I think this is the answer. I think talking is the answer. I think giving each other a safe place is the answer. I can feel some of y'all looking at me right now. And I can hear some of the conversations going on in your head. <laughs> and, and, and that's where I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to open up your heart and your mind. And the conversation has to start in the church. It has to start here because, because listen to me, it's, it's, a, it's a sin issue, but it's also a skin issue. People say, well, it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. No, it's both. And it has to start here because it can only be healed in the heart first. This all has to be healed in the heart first. So let's open up and talk a little bit. We were in a staff meeting and um, we're going around the room and Rita's sometimes a little quiet. And so I mess, I mess with her. I'm like, Rita, what do you think? You know, and she's like, uh, but then she just like gave us this, just this wealth of, of, of thought in her heart. And, and you had made a statement where you were talking about some experiences. And then, and then a comment came out from someone that said, well, I, I thought you were just. And you're like, I'm not just anything. <laughs> And I was like, that's the title for today. I am not just, you know, and um, I love that thought. Would you just kind of tell us some of the things you shared with us that day? Uh, yes, I was just saying that I'm not just one race, actually. I am also Native American and I'm part white. And I'm also a child of God. And I'm a teacher and I am an adventurer and I'm an adventurous eater. But people don't know that because all they look at is my skin color. So I had related to them a story of um, when I had gone to a store, I was going to hang out with a friend and I went to the store first and a young man behind me. Um, and I stress young man because I think the younger generation should know better. Um, Use the N word and said it loud enough for me to hear it. And when I turned around to look at him, he continued. And that made me angry. And so when I got to my friend's house, which happened to be white, I looked at her and I said, what is your problem? And she, 
And she said, what is wrong? What are you talking about? And I relayed to her the, the, what happened, and she said, she said, oh, Rita, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but she said, but you have to understand something. I was not taught to think anything about you. I was taught that you stay over there, I stay over here, and we don't mix unless necessary. We don't get to know one another. And she said, when I, when I met you, that's when I realized that we're the same. We are not just anything, you know? So we are all people together. Come on, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I am not just, I'm not just a black woman. I'm not just a woman. I'm not just, I'm a child of God. I can be anything I want. I can do what I want. I can live where I want. Come on. Uh, Psalms 82 says, I'm made a little lower than God. I'm in his image. When you see me, you see God. Come on. Um, I love that I am not just. Right. Uh, one, one of their realities, Rita was sharing, and I love the boldness. You said, you know, when Clayton and I would move to different neighborhoods, we, we would, you know, there was different thoughts or different concerns about what neighborhood can we live in and will we be accepted by these, this, this, you know, maybe upper middle class white, uh, you know, neighborhood or can we right. fit in here? And you, you're like, we don't care. We're going to move where we want, knock on doors and say, hey, we're in the neighborhood. What's <laughs> that up? That's correct. That's what... That is what we have done. Yes, yeah, and, you, our... and one of the things you said was that you were going to use that as, and you weren't going to be defeated, but you were going to use that as opportunities to prove people wrong and to show them and introduce yourself and who they were. And that's who, what Clayton and I have done. That's something that God has put in us through our entire married life is that we have um, actually invaded people's space, you know, and, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> but because, and, and God has used us to change people's minds. You know, that friend that I was telling you about, her mother is very prejudiced. Yeah. But by the, and it took years, but I changed her mind. Wow. You know, so you, you um, don't be afraid to go in there and be bold and change people's minds. That's awesome. You know, be who you are. Thank you. And, yes. Thanks for being who you are. Um, let, me, let me say this. For all you people that say white privilege doesn't exist, you've probably never had that thought in your mind looking for a neighborhood or going door to door or meeting your neighbors. That's never run through your mind. And uh, I'm sorry that that has to be a reality when you go look for a house, you know. Drew, Sabrina, what's up, man? I see uh, you guys just hanging out thinking Drew is an awesome pastor. His wife is an amazing pastor and administrator here. Um, been on our team for two, two plus years and uh, uh, multi little white dude that grew up in the, in the hood in Louisiana. Um, you know, he was that crazy white dude that hung out with the black dudes that like, they were like, that dude's crazy. You know what I'm saying? And uh, <laughs> he, was like, he had to prove himself. You know what I'm saying? He was like, uh, but, and then his wife grew up military. And I wanted to you just talk about some of the interracial experience that you guys had in your marriage and then military and some of the background and just what's in your heart. So we were talking about, you know, interracial and, and how God brought us together. And she was, we were having this discussion yesterday and she, she looked at me and she goes, do you realize that 50 years in most states we would not even allowed to be married? And I was like, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, we would not even allow, be allowed to be together. And it would have been against the law to be married in some states. And, and I, that really hit me hard. And I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, man how much our country has changed, but how much it's not changed. Because as we're walking around, you know, as we're trying to find a church in our community, we went to one church and everybody looked like Sabrina. 
We went to another church and everybody looked like me. And I was like, this is not how our family is. We want, our, we want to raise our family in the midst of a multicultural environment around a lot of different people so they can really understand what life is about. And, and just being in an interracial relationship like that has just opened our eyes to so much. We've, we've dealt with questions from people. And people, people are never really overt in their questions or what they say, but they're very covert in their questions. And they would say like, all those kids, because we have four kids, all of them are ours. But that was the question that we, that we would get. They would look at us and they'd be like, are all the kids y'alls? Like, what type of question is that? Yes, they're all ours. Or they do the, the, the thing that, that people do with Sabrina. They, they have this weird way of asking, like, what are you? What are you? Are you Filipino? Are you Hawaiian? And we'd have these big discussions. And, and I'm like, and she would just say, what would you say? Human. I'm just human, just a person, just a person. So, you know, get to know, get to know. And, and we've dealt with stuff. And in the military, it was interesting when she grew up on a military base. And military bases, her, her dad was one of the highest ranking guys on the base. And her dad is a black man. Her, her mom is Taiwanese. And I heard Taiwanese. I hear Becca back there, Taiwanese. Yeah. And um, she didn't experience a lot of it that she, until we got married. Because on a military base, you didn't see a lot. And I can, I have 20 years in the military. In the military, they do really good when you get there about putting everybody together and say, this is your brother. This is your battle buddy. This is your wingman. You will be with him in battle. They do really good about that. So I would say there's no overt racism that I've experienced that I've seen in the military. However, even in the military, there's still covert racism. It's still there. It's behind closed doors. You hear comments. I would hear comments. And the comments that I hated is I would get around people that look like me, other white people, and they would make comments that they wouldn't make in front of our black brothers. They wouldn't make in front of our Hispanic brothers. And that used to make me very angry because I would say, why do you think, why, why are you comfortable enough to say that with me just because of how I look? Do you know me? Do you know where I've came from? Do you know that, that I grew up with black brothers and sisters, and we were all one family, and we were all in one spot, and we were all together, and we all understood each other because we had dialogue. But just dealing with that growing up, and she didn't experience that because until we got, until we got married and she got off of a military base, she started to see these things. So that's just been our experience as we've, yeah. as we've been yeah, married. Yeah, so it's real. And, it's and real. I love the fact that you talked about coming here when you all were looking for churches that a lot of times interracial couples don't feel safe at specific places because right. you, 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 know, you go one place and no one looks like me or the other place no one looks like me. So I love that there's a safe place that, hey, there's a lot of different types of people here. And so thanks, man, for just being a part of this, this place. And you said it should start in the church. You know, for so long, Sunday's been the most segregated day of the week. And I 100%, it's got to start in yeah, the church. It it's got to start with us, y'all. It's got to start right this here. This is heaven. It's got to create heaven on earth. Courtney, you were going to talk about empathy. Come on, give it up for Courtney. She is awesome. Silver Next Steps and some of our serve teams. Empathy, just a, a heart to be empathetic to what our friends are going through. Yeah, I think growing up for so long, you know, like my parents are very much like, you know, God loves all people. We love all people. There's absolutely no room for racism. We do not speak that way, but it was very much like, okay, but there are like racists in the world, but it's an extreme situation. And so I feel like I've 
thankfully through being in community with other people that look different than me, being in this church, I've been able to have the conversations to where I understand that it's not just extreme racism, you know, it's not just KKK or white supremacy, like it's a, it's microaggressions, it's, it's the things that are the backhanded compliments that sound like they're nice, but they're really not. And so me learning and, and having this understanding that, that I need to learn those things so that I can be aware of them so I can call them out because I think you know talking about yeah I think talking about so many times we talk about white privilege and a lot of people get defensive about white privilege I don't want to I don't want to admit that I have privilege yeah they think like, that it's like somehow that that invalidates how hard they've worked or yeah. their their education or the things they've been through and it's not an invalidation any of what they've done right yeah. right and so I think I think understanding and accepting white privilege what are you going to do about it? Like, what are we going to say about it? What are the conversations that we're going to have? What are the people that we're going to surround ourselves with? People in our church, people in our connect group, the conversations we're going to have. And I think learning those things and being aware of those things, Pastor Crystal said last week, to truly love someone is to know somebody. So That's how good. can I sit here and say that I love all people, that I love this family without knowing what they go through? It's not enough to turn a blind eye. It's not enough to just say, well, I may not be racist, but we need to not just not be racist. We need to be anti-racist. We need to call it out when we see it. That's good. I love that. That's empathetic. That's feeling what someone's feeling, trying to understand. Again, it's not comfortable to have the conversation. We're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and I think we've got to, I think on both sides, white people need to be okay with saying the wrong thing and asking forgiveness and going, I didn't mean to. And, and black people need to say, that was wrong. That hurt my feelings, you know, and, and not hold a hurt that might have happened. And we got to be in dialogue, right? That's exactly what I was thinking about, the grace in dialogue, the grace and Pastor Emery's been really great about that. Rita's been great about that. Sometimes I'm like, what do I say? What will I, I do? And so there's grace that I, I because I want to do it all correctly, I'm afraid to have the conversation because I don't want to do it incorrectly and offend someone. Somebody, yeah. But there's been so much grace. And so having grace with each other is so important in yeah, the dialogue. I think if we're being genuine and we really want to be genuine, then there's grace there. Pastor Crystal, what's up? Come on. <laughs> uh, I know many of you know Pastor Crystal. She is an amazing pastor here, kids pastor and uh, speaker, one of our preaching team, does so many great things. And um, we love you so much. Listen, you were sharing, we were talking about that, you know, uh, some about microaggressions and we can't just say, oh, the answer is just love all people. I mean, the answer is love people, but, but there's some education to that. You talked about some assumptions and, and um, uh, assumptions and stereotypes. And could you just share some of what you were talking about? Yeah. Well, you know, I love you guys too. And, um, but Courtney was saying, it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. And I think that I wish I would have done a better job because I grew up also saying that I love all people and, you know, I had, I lived in a predominantly black area and I grew up, my closest friends were black um, in my family, but my granny worked for a white doctor and they would invite us to birthday parties with their grandchildren and I thought all white people were rich. I mean, <laughs> you know, here we are going to this big fancy house on the other side of town and my dad started working for another wealthy white family as a general manager for their company. And I just thought 
all white people were rich. And so when I started having... That was a stereotype That was had. a stereotype, you know, a, a misconception I yeah. had. Um, and we didn't grow up poor by any stretch of the imagination. I just thought that there was going to be a divide between what it looked like to be black and what it looked like to be white, to have money. And when I started having white friends, I took a little bit of that into my friendships. And I would make comments about how, you know, you didn't have to pay for college or different things like that. And that's not always the case. What I wish I would have done better was called out some of those microaggressions, you know? So you're in these relationships with people and they're trying to be funny and trying to be friendly and they make these offhanded compliments or offhanded um, remarks and I wish I would have called it out then instead of being looking back on it now because I think that person could have been in a better place in their life but instead I just tried to let some of those mo moments roll off my back like water off of a duck yeah. and though there's a little bit of keeping peace to that and having grace for people in that I think you still call those things out in a loving and a kind way and I think that's something that I wish I would have done more of um, in those moments I do more of it now you know yeah. like offhanded compliments like oh you're pretty for a black girl you know, some of my guy friends would say stuff like that when I was desperately single. Uh, <laughs> you're pretty for a black girl. Yeah. And, wow. um, or, you know, making a joke. Some, a friend of mine made a really horrible joke once. And I don't think he meant anything by it. He really said we were in a playful moment. And he said, oh, look, well, there's a tree over there I can hang you on. And in that moment, what I said back to him, it took me a moment, but I tried to come back with something witty and funny. And I said, well, I can call ice on you, you know, but we were the only two people of color in our friend group. How much more impactful would it have been for the white folks around us if we would have said, if I would have hey. said to him, hey, that's not actually a funny joke, uh, but I love you anyway. Yeah, you know, and that would have been a way better response than me coming back to him with something also racist, just trying to be funny and keep it light. Wow, that's good. Thank you for that, Crystal. That's awesome. Something with Crystal that was really educational for me was when you shared about how your daddy picked your names. Will you share that? Just yeah. My daddy, who and is... And that goes to some of, of white privilege. Yeah, that actually... I think a lot of people say that white privilege doesn't exist, but if you never had to think about what a resume is going to look like on the table, on the desk of a of, of corporation um, of your child before you pick their names, I have... There's some weird names in the world. People name their kids Apple and all kind of stuff like that. <laughs> but, I mean, that's not weird. People are entitled to name their kids what they want to name their kids. <laughs> My daughter's you see how easy it happens? It's so back. easy. It's so easy to creep up on anyone. How quick it is to make prejudices and assumptions. It just creeps up on anyone. But my dad. Is named, that a white name? Apple? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's more like celebrities or something. I don't know. Um, my dad. My dad named me Crystal. And he named my sister Jessica. And he did it very intentionally. He gave us very generic names because he did not want people to look at our names and make assumptions about us based on our names solely. And so wow. I think it's made a difference in my life, you wow. know? And I've watched it happen to friends of mine, how teachers would talk to them or respond to them or say their name incorrectly, but grossly, you know? Yeah. Like, as in hooked on not, phonics not doesn't care. work for them, yeah. you know? It's just, yeah. uh, it's just this, <laughs> I don't know, but I haven't had to deal with that, but I think yeah. that that's part of, I think that's one of those things in white privilege that people don't, Think about what Thanks you're going to make it is. Hey, huge. Pastor, one of the things that I've seen that I want people, is, I'm talking to the white people right now. If you hear stuff like that, if you're in a friend group and somebody says something like that, our job in being anti-racist is to call that out. It's, and, and it's going to be uncomfortable. 
And sometimes it's hard, but our job is to call that out and say, hey, we don't, we don't talk like that. We don't, we don't do stuff like that. That's big. So, Yeah, I love doing that when someone drops something like that and just staring at them with just the stink eye, like, I, I, I'm going to kill you right now. You know, just, they're like waiting for you to laugh, and I'm just looking at you. And listen, you know, I, I'm, it's not funny. You know what I mean? And I think, I think that you might lose some friends, but I'd rather, I'd rather lose some friends. Come on, somebody. I'd rather lose some friends than laugh at stupidity and ignorance. Um, So, Chris, what's up, baby? Come on, Chris and Kate. Chris works with our student ministry. All of our videos you see, uh, he edits and, you know, stuff online. He's an amazing young man. His wife, Kate, amazing young woman. They've been on our team for a couple months. And... um, just so proud of you, man. Share. You said a comment that you were in, grew up in Las Vegas, huge multicultural mixing pot, all different friend groups that you got made fun of a little bit for one thing, and then you came here, went to Seymour High School, only black guy in Seymour, and then and then you and you made a comment that that you started to get started to get made fun of for something else, and you had to become twenty five percent black and seventy five percent funny. Yeah, yeah. Pick um, up on that. Yeah, I I grew up, you know. Uh, in a place where, like, I had an Indian friend, and I had a white friend, and I had a Hispanic friend, and I had an Asian friend, and I didn't even know what race was because, you know, we were just, you know, a beautiful rainbow. But, like, then I was getting, like, heavily made fun of for being overweight. And when I moved over to Seymour for two years, I was the only black student that attended the high school in, like, for the full year. Because people would come and they, some race would happen and they'd go. And then they'd come and some race would happen and they'd go. And when I moved to Seymour, I was immediately ready for people to start making fun of my weight. And the second that I hear, you know, jokes about me being black from Vegas, I'm like, I'll, I'll say those jokes all day. I'm like, what, you ain't talking about my gut? Okay, let's go. Like, I was excited because it was something that I was never, like, I never had thought about ever because race was never like a thing to me growing up. And so, you know, I, I started becoming the one to start telling race jokes about myself before anybody could even, even say anything to go ahead and get like an edge up and to go ahead and to make friends and make people laugh and, you know, be like that token funny black guy. And, you know, that's sad because, you know, back then I was kind of like doing it for like survival almost. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I felt like I, I yeah, at one point I, I became like 25% black and 75% funny. And it was just more important for me to get the joke off at my expense man. than to, you know. I'm uh, sorry, bro. Love you, man. I know you and your wife have faced a lot as well. And these are real stories, guys. These are modern day stories. I've called a good friend named Sean Ree who goes to church here. Sean Ree, Sean Ree and Nikki Baker. You guys know him, love him well. Sean Ree said, when all this went down, he, he's on the phone with me. He said, Pastor, I don't think you understand. He, I said, I don't. He said, he goes, he goes, have you ever, he said, listen, I, he goes, I know everybody's not racist, but from, as a black man, he said, when you see these things happening, 
He said, it's like, a, it's like a, 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 the red dot off a gun or a, or a, a, a rifle or a gun. You ever know the laser, the laser sights that do the red dot? He goes, being a black man, he goes, here's the thing. In, in, in a minority, as a minority in a society, he goes, I've got a red dot on me. And here's the problem. I don't know where it's coming from. He goes, so every day of my life, listen, I don't think everybody's racist, he said, but I never know where it's coming from. I know it's out there. I know it's going to hit me from somewhere, but I don't know where it's coming from. And there's this red dot on me. And as a man, I can never rest. I can never let my guard down. I can never not think about it. And not because I want to, because I'm not sure when it's going to rear its head and shoot me or, or not, not literally, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like when is it going to hit me? I, he goes, I have to think about it every day, whether I'm driving to Kroger or looking for a home or making a new friend group or he goes I don't know if you understand the reality I said I don't I said Sean Reed the one time that I could ever even come close to understanding was I was on a mission trip in South Africa I was the only white dude predominantly anywhere we went and I was kind of freaked out the whole time <laughs> I said I had a black buddy named Sean Phillips he's good at our church here I was like Sean man can you take care of your brother if anything goes down because I'm like oh I'm the only white dude and Sean Reed said would you please never forget that feeling he said hold on to that feeling I told him another scenario, but I'm not going to mention that one in church. <laughs> it was some of my days before I knew Jesus in certain areas that I probably shouldn't have been in, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. But, and and he, said, hold, he said, hold on to that feeling of what that, because that's how I feel every day. And, I, and I'm not saying that I, this is the answer. Pastor Emery, we talk a lot, and we're going to close up. I want to share a verse with you. And you, you, I just asked you, uh, you know, we've had a lot of conversations around Black Lives Matter and, and what does that mean? And, and, and a lot of times the first response of people going Black Lives Matter is, well, all lives matter. And I heard a pastor say this, all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter because black lives are black lives and they're part of all lives. So all lives don't actually matter until black lives actually matter. And, and you and I have had conversations and you said, I don't know why people have to say, yeah, but da, 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 da. What are some, what's some of your heart just about this church? You, you and I are close friends. We've been to running together for 10 years, man. I think 10, 11 years, nine years, 10 years going on 10. And uh, what are some of your hearts, some of your heart on just where we're at? Um, I think that Everybody has spoken so well today about it. And I want to I wanna hit on one thing that you said again just before we move on. And that's that this is a miracle. I think our church not only is a miracle, I mean, the church is a miracle, but this church is a miracle because this is West Knoxville. And let me tell you, I, I can speak to the cameras and all of y'all out there, all my family even. Black folks ain't going to leave home to come to church in West Knoxville unless they know it's good, yeah. you know. And I don't mean yeah. just good music or good <laughs> preaching. I mean, unless they, seriously, unless they know that it's going to nourish their soul. They're not coming. They can you can listen, anybody, black or white, Latino, Asian, whatever, can listen to good music and good preaching on YouTube. You don't need, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to come to West Knoxville for that. But I think that God does something and is doing something and continues to do something so special and so miraculous in this house. And it has been breaking down walls for the last nine years that I've been here. And I think it'll continue to break down walls. And I really expect to see our church in nine more years having uh, been a trailblazer in what diversity actually looks like in our city. Come on, man. That's you know? awesome. Um, but I think that it's just the thought for me that 
I am a Christian, but I'm also black. You know, I'm a husband, but I'm also black. I'm a father, I'm black. I'm a brother, but I'm black. I'm a friend, but I'm black. Like, I don't understand, and I, th- I think that what's always frustrated me is why um, we so easily go to the colorblind narrative, because everybody sees color. I was watching a documentary last night, and the woman was like, you know, kids, everyone says kids don't see color. I have said that. We've all seen the videos. They've been going around the post, but that's a lie. Right. Kids, my son is two years old, and he can tell you almost every color he sees. You know, yeah, because to say see- I don't see color is really a saying I don't validate who exactly. God created you to yes. be. I don't validate yeah. your story, your pain, beauty. your beauty. No. Yeah, yeah I don't find beauty in that color. I don't find, but a child as young as my son and maybe even younger can call out colors and see something beautiful in those colors. That's, you know, that's um, awesome. and I think that I wish us even as adults will get to that place where we're not like, oh, I don't want to look at your color. No, what you're saying is you don't want to look at the baggage. You don't want to help me carry what wow. my color carries in this country. Wow. And that, I think, if I could articulate it, even for Sean Rhea and, and, and some other guys that I've talked to recently, is what it feels like, is that people just don't want to help me carry this baggage. That's huge. You know, who likes to ask their friends to help them move? Hey, help me move. Nobody, <laughs> you know. You find out who your friends are you real find, quick. You definitely find out who your friends are. Um, don't call me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that, that that's what it feels like is like you you show up to they show up to your house and you open the garage you open the closets where you've been hiding all of this heavy baggage wow and it's stuff that you didn't even bring into your house you were just born with it mm. you know it was just you there you inherited it's part of your, you inherited it's it. just a part of who you are but you got to carry it to the next place because it matters in the next place just like it mattered in this place and so um just be friends i don't know be good people and, and be willing to carry the weight and help people oh, move awesome. uh, to the next season. Thank you, bro. Love that. Love you. We're going to pray. We're a few minutes over, but last week was like an hour and a half, three-part sermon. So we're beating last week if you're online. Hope you're sticking with us. I, I want to share a verse. And then, Clayton, I'm going to ask if you'd pray for us at the end. Would you do that? Um, here, here's the verse. <laughs> He's like, sure. <laughs> Clayton's ready in season and out of season. Clayton's one of our trustees. He's on our board. Awesome brother. Man, listen, if you want to hear, if you want, if you need heaven to show up, let this man pray for you and his wife. Man, they hear from heaven and they'll start praying stuff over you. And you're like, man, how did you know where I came from? My mama, my daddy, how did you know all this? They, they know, they walk with God and then the prophetic very strongly. And so... Um, I love them so much. Here's a verse. Here's, I was asking God for a verse from heaven because it's easy to put a lot of man's thoughts into all of this. And, and here, here's, I think, the verse God gave me um, for this hour for our church. And there's a lot of other great verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Um, Paul is speaking and he talks about what God was doing and then what he offered or gave a ministry to us in. It says this, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That word reconciling right there actually is a Greek word that means to change or exchange as coins or for others of an equivalent value. So God was in Jesus exchanging the value of the world or changing the value of the world to his own value. Like making the world as valuable as him in Christ. He was making them as valuable. Then it goes on and says this, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Has committed to the church, to Christians. If you're a believer, God has committed to you the word or the ministry of reconciliation. 
that word reconciliation the second time is a little bit different it means exchange of the business of money changers exchanging equivalent values so the bible says that god was exchanging the value of the world for himself and he's committed to you the ministry of the exchange of equivalent value that you and i have been given the ministry of exchange i heard a civil rights activist say a few days ago we haven't been reconciled that's the root of it we haven't been reconciled that this ministry given to us the ministry of reconciliation listen to me please if you're online listening wherever you are you cannot reconcile what you won't recognize We cannot reconcile what we won't recognize as a church, as pastors, as leaders. And the only way to reconcile is to recognize. And, and here's the ministry of exchange. I was on a mission trip uh, in, in, in Peru. Uh, Mike, you were there, I believe. We were in Iquitos, Peru. The missionary had been there 10, 11 years. He knew the culture. He knew the people. He spoke the language, spoke Spanish. And we had to go and make an exchange of monetary value one day. And so as we got our $100 bills together, he began to explain to us what kind of bill it had to be and how clean it had to be and how, how it couldn't be crinkled and wrinkled. And he understood it had to have these serial numbers behind it. And he goes, there's this one lady that gives a, a, an equal exchange rate. You need to go to her. You can't go to the Peruvians. There's actually a Chinese lady, a Chinese family that's lived here for 25, 30 years. They do a lot of money exchange and they give the equal value for the value. We'll go to her, but she's ruthless. He goes, she's a hard driving businesswoman. We, I, I, got, you gotta go, I gotta go with you. You can't just go to any of them. So we get in line and he gets our money out and he, he goes up and I watch him at the, at the counter and he begins to exchange and she gives some dollars back and they're talking and they start arguing. He's like, no, no, no. She's like, ah, 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 ah. you know, and they're going, and they're going at it, you know, and they're arguing, I can tell, and it's getting a little feisty. I'm like, man, what's going on? It's like, you know, and, and he's like, no, and they're just, and I was like, what's happening, man? I'm like, is, and I'm nervous. Like, is the bill, is it clean enough? Is it crisp enough? He's like, don't worry about that. And he begins to fight her to get equivalent value for the dollars that we had given. I think as the church, we have a community of brothers and sisters, the African-American community that's had to not be crinkled and not be wrinkled and, and have the right serial number and say the right things. And, and, and if we do it right, and if we, we got to do all these things right, and then we'll get the equal value for us. And they just want to have the value that they deserve. And I think as the white church and white pastors and white leaders, we need to be the people that go and begin to fight for equivalent value. The ministry of reconciliation is the fight to make sure the exchange isn't just fair, it's equal. We don't, need, we don't need fair acts. We don't need the Fairness Act. We need the Equality Act. The value. You'd be pissed if you went to the bank and gave them 100 and they gave you back 50. You'd be ticked off if the exchange rate wasn't of equal value in your favor. Why can't we get as upset for our brothers and sisters going, it's got to be an equal exchange rate. According to the scriptures, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, which is to communicate we're equal in the exchange rate of God. That's the heart. And you cannot reconcile what you won't recognize. I think this is the answer. I'd ask you to do this. Educate yourself. Take personal, number one, take personal responsibility. Educate yourself. Talk to friends. Learn, read, listen. Pray. Two, pray. But pray with the filter that God loves the people you don't like. 
pray with the filter that God said, bless those that you disagree with. Pray with the filter that God died for those you hate. Don't pray your agenda. Pray with that filter. And three, befriend some people that are different than you. Come on, white people, get some black friends. Black people, get some white friends. Start talking, start listening. And that's the answer. I think this is the answer. This is the start. And then we put action to it. Clayton, would you pray for us? Father, you said in your word, if your people, your black people, your white people, your Spanish people, your Chinese people, your people, whoever they are, were called by your name, would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways of division and prejudiceness and hurt and pain. You said, Lord, that you would heal your land. Heal our land, Lord. We need healing, Lord God. We need you to move in each one of our lives, regardless of our skin color, of our beliefs, to change our minds, Father God, to change our hearts, to help us to see that we are your people. And it doesn't matter what race or what background we have, that you, Lord, are here to help us to work together as one. I just pray, Lord God, for us here in this congregation. I pray for our nation. I pray for every person that's listening at this broadcast, Lord, that you would touch their hearts that you would open their eyes, that you would open their hearts so that they can see your love and your healing. We repent, Father God. We turn from our wicked ways of division and prejudice and hurt and pain. And we ask you to come into our hearts, Lord, and help us to pick up the baggage of our brothers and sisters and to carry it a little ways. Not all the way, but a little ways, Father God to help them to move forward, regardless of their race, uh, social, economic background, Father God, of their heritage. We pray for healing in our nation, Father God, in our church, Father God, in our world. We ask that Jesus would be Lord of us all. In Jesus' name. Come on, in Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise this morning. Thank you for everybody willing to come up here and share. Thank you for being a part of Transformation. We love you guys so much. If you need prayer for anything, come on, you can type it in the chat line right there. I need prayer. Uh, if you need to make a fresh start and give your life to Christ, just type that in the chat as well. I'm giving my life to Jesus. If you've been dealing with anything around this topic, just let us know. We'd love to pray with you. And we meet next week at 10 a.m. and 1130 right here in the facility. And So, yep, we're back. And then... We got next steps today as well, online at noon, so you can sign up for that in the chat as well. We love you so much. Come on, keep being transformation. Let's continue to have the conversation. I believe the healing starts right here in the house. In Jesus' name, love you guys. See you next week.